are the elect of God. Have you ever asked, am I among the elect? This is a theological question that has resulted in a lot of error over the centuries. There is an end time verse we want to examine today where Jesus warned that false messiahs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So who are the elect who will be exposed to the danger of great deception? The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. A concern of so many at the moment is the topic of an election, but I'm not talking about selecting politicians. I'm talking about electing you to a place in eternity. I'm so grateful whenever I can speak up for the Hebraic roots of our faith, without which we could not comprehend the New Testament nor the ministry of Jesus as the Messiah both as the suffering servant portrait of Messiah that he fulfilled in the past and also as the king of the Jews portrait in the Bible that he will fulfill when he returns. Now here's what we want to examine today. The scriptures speak of both the Jewish people and individual members of the body of Messiah, the church, as being divinely elected. That is divinely chosen by God. Throughout church history, there have been theologians such as Augustine who have tried to freeze out the Jewish people by claiming they're no longer favored by God. But to claim that God is finished with the Jewish people is called replacement theology or supersessionism, as if the church could take the place of the Jewish patriarchs to whom were committed the very oracles of God? The concept of the Israelites being chosen by God is mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy and is alluded to elsewhere in the Hebrew Bible. Deuteronomy 7.6 declares, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Indeed, the Jewish people had been chosen by God for a purpose, to be a light unto the nations. And in Zechariah 2.8, the Almighty says, whoever touches Israel touches the apple of his eye. Now, the concept of chosenness may be construed by some to mean ethnic supremacy, but the status of the Jews as a chosen people does not mean that the Lord has no relationship with the nations. Indeed, he is Lord of the nations, but he required a special people to be guardians and scribes of his word and of the Messianic bloodline. It hasn't been easy for the Jewish people to be the chosen of God. To quote the main character, Tevye, from the musical fiddler on the roof, the Jewish people often despair of all the persecution they have endured. 
Tevu says, I know we are your chosen people, but once in a while, can't you choose someone else? Well, not only did the Lord choose the Jewish people for his own eternal plans and purposes, Scripture says, according to Ephesians 1.4, he also chose every member of the body of Messiah from the foundations of the world. Now, how was that possible? Well, it's possible because God lives outside of time and he sees the end from the beginning. Although this is still the church age and although the church age is winding up, nevertheless, the Jewish people are in ascendancy once again and they still have special status with God as his elect. The popular Jewish holiday of Purim, when Jews celebrate victory over their enemies, is a reminder for members of the church not to boast against the root of the Lord's olive tree. In fact, the Apostle Paul admonished us in Romans eleven eighteen, Do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. John Parsons, author of the phenomenal Hebrew for Christians website, reminds us that the book of Esther centers on God's faithfulness and care of the Jewish people, and by extension, all those among the nations who become partakers of Israel's blessings through Yeshua the Messiah. The idea that God personally chooses some people for reasons entirely his own to be recipients of his covenant love is scandalous to a lot of people. But in the Bible, the Jews are called Im Hanifchar, the chosen people, just as Christian believers are said to be chosen in Yeshua before the foundation of the world. In both cases, the chosen Jewish people and the divinely elected Christians, God reserves sovereign prerogative to choose. And on this topic, let me remind you that Jesus said in John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. At the Hebrew for Christians website, John Parsons, who also knows New Testament Greek as well as Hebrew, literally translated John 6, 44 like this. Yeshua told his followers, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me drags him. That's amazing. So I looked up this verse in the lexicon, and indeed, draws is translated from the word meaning to drag in Strong's Concordance number 1670. This teaches us that in God's mercy, the Holy Spirit divinely draws elected individuals to the Savior, and apparently, in some cases, he even has to drag individuals, as it were, kicking and screaming to himself. That's why evangelists refer to the Holy Spirit as the hound of heaven, because he faithfully hunts down the Lord's elect. By the way, the hound of heaven is not just a saying. It was a popular 19th century poem describing how God pursues souls by his divine grace. So please note, concerning divine election, Yeshua said in John 15, 16, 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. I certainly know this is true because in my case, the Lord introduced himself to me in an open vision when I was a very young toddler. I was too young to make any theological decisions, but he appeared to me in an open vision and healed me from a deathly childhood illness, and I've loved him ever since. John Parsons went on to explain at the Hebrew for Christians website that God is the initiator of our relationship with him. He's the master of the universe and the God of the spirits of all flesh. So declares Numbers 16.22. It is heaven's divine prerogative to bestow revelation on heaven's own terms. In Romans 9.15, the Apostle Paul reminds us of God's conversation with Moses. He said, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. However, in our continually offended, woke culture, divine election may sound arbitrary, unfair. Parsons is indeed a theologian when he wrote that the scandal of the gospel is that God loves whom he loves for reasons entirely his own. And this is the scandal of God's sovereign choice of ethnic Israel. But whether people like it or not, God is perfectly righteous in all of his ways. In other words, Israel's election says something about our own election. If you are a genuine believer in Jesus, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, then God called you by name before he created the universe. That's what the Bible teaches. And so said Paul to the congregants in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, that from the beginning, God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. One of the ongoing proofs in the Bible about the divine election of the Jewish people is the book of Esther and the holiday of Purim, which all believers are free to celebrate, in my opinion, because Purim extols the sovereignty of God in history and in preserving the chosen people. The holiday is named after the Purim, meaning lots, which were cast in ancient Persia for a date to exterminate the Jews. But there is no direct reference to God in the entire scroll of Esther. His sovereign but invisible hand is evident, nevertheless, at every turn. And each year, Israelis hold a big national masquerade party, celebrating the happy ending of the story, also illustrating how God deliberately hides or masquerades his own identity to pull off the great victory. The story of the book of Esther takes place in ancient Persia, which is modern-day Iran. And I believe it's no coincidence that, once again, Israel's mortal enemy is Iran, so we have to watch that space. Let's make sure we have a biblical worldview. Historically, anti-Jewish statements have been made about the book of Esther because many Christian theologians have been essentially anti-Semitic in their thinking. The central point of the book of Esther reveals God's providential care 
for ethnic Israel. And some Christian theologians have found that conclusion abhorrent to their theological prejudice. Indeed, the book of Esther celebrates Jewish identity and survival. Despite the evil plans and designs of anti-Semites, and therefore replacement theologians who erroneously claim that the church has replaced Israel, will tend to regard the book of Esther with disregard, or they will attempt to reinterpret Israel to mean the church. Confusion can be cleared up if you always remember this rule of thumb. In the Bible, Israel means Israel, and the church means the church, period. However, for those of us who understand that the church shares in the covenantal blessings given to Israel, the book of Esther is a story of victory concerning God's faithfulness to care for all his people. There is a future and a hope for Israel that is indeed being fulfilled in our generation before our very eyes. And there's also a future and a hope for you if you are a believer in Yeshua out there amongst the nations. As a believer, I appreciate knowing that my God is a covenant keeper and that he doesn't go back on his promises to the Jewish people. Furthermore, the scroll of Esther is part of the canon of Scripture for both Jews and Christians. And Esther 9.28 clearly states that these days of Purim should be remembered and kept throughout every generation. So the holiday of Purim should definitely be on our calendar of days to remember and rejoice. How various church leaders regard the book of Esther is a test case of whether or not they accept the heretical doctrine of replacement theology. So Purim should definitely be on our calendar of days to remember and rejoice. How various church leaders regard the book of Esther is a test case of whether or not they accept the heretical doctrine of replacement theology. Tragically, the only way to ignore the message of the book of Esther is to deny the Hebraic roots of our faith. Let's rejoice that God will always bless those who bless Israel, and he will curse those who curse Israel. The truth is that the Bible teaches the election by God of both Israel and the body of Messiah, those individual members of the true church collected throughout the past 2,000 years. When Jesus spoke of the elect being deceived, if it were possible in the last days, we can take that to mean both Christian believers prior to the pre-tribulational rapture and also to the Jewish people who are primarily the elect of God during this seven-year tribulation period covered by the book of Revelation when all of Israel will be saved. Let's look for a moment at Mark 13, 22 and Matthew 24, 24, in which Jesus states, false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. The Amplified Bible puts it like this, for false Christ and false prophets will appear and they will perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if it were possible, 
even the elect, God's chosen ones. Has this verse ever concerned you about the possibility of being deceived? Well, for clarification, let's see what the Bible commentaries say. According to the pulpit commentary, Jesus prophesied dangers to which believers will be subjected. He did not confine his view to Jewish history. He foretold the appearance of pretenders who would claim they are the Messiah. On the other hand, false prophets are those who don't claim the title Messiah, but they are nevertheless imposters, professing to be inspired, lawful teachers. They claim to possess a new revelation or something supplemental to the eternal gospel. However, Paul wrote in Galatians 1.8, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Such accursed ones were the founders of new religions around the world, such as Mormonism and other religions claiming special revelation from heaven. I'm sure you can think with me of a few more who claim an angel gave them a special revelation. But the Apostle Paul testified that such will be the action of the Antichrist, whose coming, he wrote, is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders. Bible commentaries point out that the con artist Simon Magus, whom we meet in Acts chapter 8, and Elymas the sorcerer in Acts 13, are examples of these false prophets who will have satanic supernatural powers in the end times when God's restraining hand is removed. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 2.9 that signs and lying wonders will be trademarks of the wicked one, the Antichrist, in whom the mystery of iniquity will receive its full development. If it were possible, the very elect will be temporarily or almost deceived because the pretended miracles will resemble true miracles, making detection difficult. But I want you to take comfort in the fact that Jesus said his real disciples would be too firmly established in the belief that he is Messiah to be wholly led away by false messiahs and false prophets. Christians may sometimes be hoodwinked. They may be in doubt about some great doctrines. They may be perplexed by the cunning craftiness of imposters who don't love the truth. But they can't be entirely deceived and seduced away from the Lord. Our Savior says that if this were possible, it would be done. But thankfully, it is not possible. The Lord assures us in John 10, 28, no one can snatch us out of his hand. Theologians explain that by the elect are meant a select number of particular persons descended from Adam, whom God, in his sovereign goodwill, without respect to their faith, holiness, good works, has chosen in Messiah before the foundation of the world. And so for these to be deceived finally and totally is impossible. Of course, not impossible considering their own weaknesses 
and the craftiness of deceivers. They might easily be seduced, but considering the purposes and promises of God concerning them and their security in the hands of Christ, their final and total deception is, in fact, ultimately impossible. Of course, as sinners before conversion, these elect very well may have been deceived at some point because all unsaved individuals are subject to disobedience, foolishness. So says Titus 3.3. And even believers may also be temporarily deceived, as it were, after conversion, but not totally. A true believer will not deny the doctrine of salvation or fall into damnable heresies. On the other hand, a genuine believer may be seduced away from the simplicity of the gospel, but not finally. Eventually, true believers will be recovered out of the snare of the devil and not left to perish in deception. So the elect are sealed by God for safety from fatal deception in the evil day. Let's rest and rejoice in this truth. Now then, if we can get a proper definition of the term antichrist, we shall see that such deceivers have appeared in every age, full of evil mischief-making. An antichrist is any man or woman who, in any sphere, undoes or resists the work of Messiah or compels men to think unworthy thoughts of Jesus. The word anti not only means against Messiah, but also in place of Christ. So an antichrist figure tries to replace God's Messiah. The antichrist is the ultimate embodiment of replacement theology. An antichrist spirit opposes and criticizes the true authority of Yeshua and attempts to substitute something or someone else for his divine authority. An antichrist spirit also opposes the holiness of the church, and tries to lower its standards. There are those who teach liberty, that's in reality, depravity and self-indulgence. Holiness is a test that exposes these antichrists. Recently, I saw a video on YouTube of a Baptist pastor bragging about his church is so inclusive. He proudly named every kind of sinner, as being represented in his congregation. And he wasn't at all disturbed that they were unrepentant. Rather, bragged about how they all wanted to be members of his church. We say, yes, of course, let all sinners come to church, but let Messiah change them and clean them up. To pat them on the back and encourage them to remain in their sins is a great deception. So, my friend, we do well to take heed to the sure word of prophecy in this book. Jesus warned Jerusalem that in the last days, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet will stand in the holy place. That can only refer to the sanctuary of God that will be reinstituted. And Jesus added, whosoever readeth, let him understand. Those who read the scriptures should endeavor to understand them. In Matthew 24, 16, Jesus warned 
concerning the abomination that will defile Jerusalem's holy place. He said, Then those in Judea should flee to the hills. Let no one on the housetop go down to the house to take anything out. And anybody in the field shouldn't go back to get his coat and so forth. Don't collect anything for the journey. I've been on hundreds of flights in my lifetime and always the preliminary safety precautions tell you that in the unlikely event of an accident, when exiting the aircraft, we are to take nothing with us. Why? Escape must not be hindered by burdens. Life is more than property. And believers carry all the property we need in Messiah. For sure, we should have understanding of the times, as did the leaders of the tribe of Issachar. Of them, First Chronicles 12.32 records, All the men of Issachar understood the signs of the times, and they knew the best course of action for Israel to take. In Matthew 16.3, Jesus upbraided the people of his day, saying, You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. And what were the signs his generation should have readily recognized? He was born of a virgin, prophesied by Isaiah 7.14. He was born in Bethlehem of Judea, prophesied by Micah 5.2, at a time when the scepter was departed from Judah and the lawgiver from his feet, as prophesied by Genesis 49.10. The prophetic weeks of Daniel chapter 9 were coming to their close, and John the Baptist came in the power and spirit of Elijah to prepare the way of the Lord, as prophesied by Malachi 4.5. And Jesus performed messianic miracles, prophesied by Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6. All these are the signs of the times when Messiah was to come. But instead, the hypocrites demanded another sign from him because they were disbelieving. The Jews were looking at that time for the Redeemer, but Jesus' own messianic miracles and teachings proved his divinity and the fulfillment of many obscure prophecies. His signs were abundant for all to see and ponder. The intensity and frequency of events, prophetically speaking, should alert us of the lateness of the hour and the nearness of his coming. It's my prayer that without delay, you will make sure that you've received the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Have you done that? Have you received Jesus as Lord? If you say yes, I rejoice. If you're not certain, please delay no longer. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And although these end times are not easy, Titus 3.13 promises the blessed hope of the Lord's soon appearing. Well, if you have any questions or comments, I'd love to chat on social media about election to eternity. Feel free to share with me also on social media. And I invite you to visit our website, exploits.tv. You can click online to receive our weekly email and 
learn about our exciting Holy Land teaching tours. And at our website, you can watch all our videos 24-7, as you can when you download our free Jerusalem Channel app. Our entire library is there. Please don't forget to subscribe to our Jerusalem Channel YouTube site. And until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Doric. Shalom and Maranatha. It's great to be able to keep in touch in this digital world. And when you download our free Jerusalem Channel app to your mobile phone or tablet, you'll be the first to see all our new video teachings. You can also explore our bookshop and read the Bible. And you can help to support the channel through our donation page. So look for Jerusalem Channel in the Apple or Google Store and start to share in the good news of the gospel.